When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. Got Benjamin Wolf with us on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Getting ready for week two for the Georgia Bulldogs. Getting ready for another home game. Georgia will be playing Ball State on Saturday. A lot to discuss in this episode, recapping week one, uh, looking ahead a little bit to that Ball State game. Ben, uh, how is uh, how is it now that you've got that first Georgia game back under your belt? You're back in Sanford Stadium up in the press box. Uh, what was the experience like? Yeah, it was great to be back. I might have needed to knock some rust off. I can assure you the folks that like to complain about Mike Bobo on the message boards certainly needed no rust to be knocked off. They were in full midseason form from the very jump. So for me, I was obviously glad to be back around the game, glad to be back around on the field pre-game and just hanging out in the press box. So really excited to cover this Georgia football season and uh, hopefully excited for maybe some of those loud Bobo haters to quiet down a little bit here in the near future. Yeah, we were quite busy uh, on the junkyard on Saturday night, but a lot of good conversation, I thought, coming out of that game. And uh, and it was fun, too. It's not been quite as long as it's been for you since I've been working on a Georgia game, but it was just fun to be back out there, be there out on the field pregame, you know, getting the countdown going. Um, definitely nice to be back there. And nice that uh, we got a few more in a row at home to uh, to really settle in for the uh, long run of the season. Yeah, I think we were watching pregame. I think we were watching the quarterbacks down in that in the end zone near the tunnel where they run out. And I think you looked over at me at one point and were just like, ah, I can't go. believe it's back. I can't we're, believe it's back. And it's just like we were we were really feeling it in that moment. We were so back. I can say that. We were so back. Well, let's start this episode by looking back to that game, a 48-7 win over UT Martin. We've both written a good bit about how that game played out. Kip Adams had the podcast uh, right after the game, just sort of recapping how things played out. Um, I'll start with you, Ben, because we have a, we've had a chance to hear from players. We've heard from Kirby Smart now a couple times since that game. Is there anything lingering for you about how that game played out? Anything that that really sticks with you or even things you want to watch going into week two, just based off what we saw this week. For me, I think, and this is going to be the case for a lot of these games that Georgia plays this year, but it's a matter of how do we want to view this as this a game that Georgia just was never going to lose. And so nothing that is happening, we can fully assess or is it something that we should nitpick every little thing where we say, all right, this is these are areas that can be better. And I'm sure there's a little bit of a balance somewhere in between there in terms of what we should do. So I think that there's plenty of good, plenty of fixable items that can be taken away from the game on Saturday. So I think looking ahead, taking what we learned from the UT Martin game and looking ahead to Ball State, it's a matter of what can get cleaned up offensively. I think there were some miscommunications on third downs there with Carson and Dom Lovett. I think there were obviously some inadvisable play calls down in the red zone near the end of the first half. So I think everything that we saw that you could point to and say, oh, this is an area of concern or, oh, this offense isn't going to look the way that it has the last couple of years. 
I think all of that is unbelievably overblown. I think that when you really look at it, you know, really at face value, it was a good performance from Georgia offensively, but there were moments that could have been significantly improved. And I think that's a sign of what you can expect from Georgia this year. I mean, the fact that they almost had 600 yards of offense, they threw for 400 yards with three different quarterbacks getting time and having, you know, meaningful plays to contribute to that 400 yards is this and and people felt that it was not the best offensive performance that they could have had that's probably an indicator of what you can expect from this Georgia team this season so I think a lot of we're going to sound like broken records a lot throughout this season because I do think there's going to be a boring nature to some of what goes on and we are going to have to nitpick things here or there but I guess what I'm looking forward to with Ball State is just how can Georgia clean up some of those offensive miscues and can they make it look like there are no real setbacks offensively? And I think if that's the case, as Georgia gets into SEC play, I think that we're going to see more of the same. So wait a minute. Are you telling me that some fans were overreacting from a week one game? See, the thing, the problem is, is if I were to answer that question, yes, it's the fans that were overreacting that would tell you that there was no overreacting going on. So it's a, it's a delicate you know, line that we have to walk here or else we're going to have folks mad at us, which I had plenty of people mad at at me for st- stating just Carson Beck's stat line on the junkyard on Saturday. I didn't even put any commentary associated with it. Just here's Carson Beck's stat line. And the fact that I was almost acknowledging that he had 300 yards passing was like disrespectful to anybody that thought that Georgia's offense didn't look great. It's a fine line we have to walk, but you know what? We'll do it for the viewers, for the listeners, for the subscribers. You know, we will do that for you guys. Um, you know, I, I thought it was really helpful uh, to go back and rewatch that game. I think it's hard sometimes, even with any game, um, when you watch it live, sometimes you kind of lose sight of certain things, or it's good to just see it again. Um, I know a lot of people were critical of Mike Bobo. Watching it again, I didn't think there was a ton that like just blew my mind, like what were they thinking, other than – really mismanaging at the end of that first half. I do think that was fair to critique that. Um, You know, I thought on the whole, Carson Beck played pretty good, wasn't perfect. I don't think it was fair to expect him to. And I think I wrote this in my rewatch, or I definitely mentioned it in my instant takeaways right after the game. I think it's fair to sort of grade on a curve with Carson Beck when you consider that Lab McConkie did not play, that Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint didn't play. You know, I can't help but wonder how differently do, do things look. You know, they they had they trotted out several different receivers out there, you know, and had a lot of different guys working with him. I think it's fair to at least acknowledge that. Um, I don't think you can call it an excuse, but you can acknowledge that uh, that changed things a little bit. A um, little disappointed in the offensive line. I thought they did a really good job in pass protection. I don't know that Carson really ever got touched. Run game, it just never seemed like they got much of a push. And you would expect that really, you know, against anybody, um, you know, at least doing it consistently. But especially when you're playing FCS team, I was a little disappointed watching that. Um, other than that, I think those were sort of my biggest things. Seeing a good bit of Oscar Delt, I think that Georgia likes the way he's coming along. You know, you understand that that was against UT Martin. Uh, but there were several times where, you know, they let Brock Bowers get a breather, send number four out there, let him be the only tight end on the field. Um, I think he's coming along well. I think he's someone they should be excited about. And I do want to give a shout out to Kendall Milton, who, you know, Kirby made it clear he was not healthy, not healthy. He was not 100 uh, percent. He's been coming back from that hamstring that's been bothering him. But he said, you know, it's been killing him to get back out there. He really want to go out there. I think uh, Kirby said that Kendall said he was 
92%, which I, I really love that very specific, uh, you know, guy really knows his body for sure. Yeah, but, for sure. but, but seriously though, I think he deserves a lot of credit because they've been really banged up at running back. He could have very easily said, look, I'm going to take another week. Um, I think you could tell, I didn't think he quite had the burst that we're used to seeing from him, but he said he wanted to grind it out and he went out there and took some meaningful carries for this team. Yeah, on Kendall specifically, I mean, Kirby sort of mentioning that that was essentially like scrimmage one, scrimmage two for him. And the fact that he had some of those chunk runs that he did, to your point, he didn't break off. He didn't have necessarily the burst that you could at some point expect from Kendall. But for him to want to be out there says a lot about, you know, how this team views him as a leader. It also probably tells you a little bit about how comfortable Georgia is with the thinness of the running back room as well. But I think that you know, getting Kendall and Dejan Edwards back to full health will be really important because we, you know, quite frankly, we didn't see as much Andrew Paul as I would have expected to see in week one. Um, adding to your going and watching the film takeaways that you mentioned as well. I think I noticed this obviously while I was watching the game live, but you, it really stands out. Javon Bullard and Malachi Starks just fly around the football field. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be hyperbolic in week one, but I would be surprised if you're going, if you will see a better safety duo in the Kirby smart era before this or after this, than what you're going to see this season from those two guys. Um, I mean, and I guess, you know, if they were to both, if Javon were to come back next season, I guess next season as well, you could potentially have that too, which would be pretty shocking. Um, but just, I think that that's going to give Georgia a confidence on the back end that it really hasn't had in the secondary, even though there have been ballers that have come across, you know, that, that position groups in the Kirby smart era. I just think that tandem is as good. They're as wired the way that Kirby smart wants his guys to be wired as anybody that's going to come through that. So I'm really excited to watch them this year. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I want to give a shout out to to Tyke Smith, you know, his first start at star. I thought he played really well. UT Martin was trying to attack the perimeter a lot. And, you know, the, at, at halftime, UT Martin had 14 passing yards. And, you know, really their biggest plays came on runs, QB runs. I think they may have broke one or two runs with a running back. But uh, they tried to go outside, and several times Tyke was right there and either made the tackle just past the line of scrimmage or diagnosed it and came up and had a big tackle for loss. That's a great point. And also, it, I think it's a sign of how confident Georgia is in the defensive back room with how, you know, Kirby sort of joked about it in the postgame press conference about the the look that they were giving on third down. And he was like, yeah, that's just dime. That's our dime package. We've been running that since we've been here. But I think that the number of defensive backs that they feel confident in right now is so high that they realize they can run dime with as much confidence as they've ever run it. And the looks that they're giving up front, and we've talked about this a bunch off air already, but Jalen Walker, Darius Smith, Jordan Hall, Chaz Chambliss, Tyreen Ingram Dawkins, like all these different athletic guys that aren't playing as much on first and second down. Georgia gets teams into third and six, third and eight, third and 10. I don't think anybody's going to find much success against this team given the depth that they have in that defensive back room and how you know standout I think they're playing right now and just the pass rushers that they're going to have up front. I mean, I'm going to be licking my chops every time I get to watch Georgia play on third and long on defense this season. Absolutely. It's going to be something to watch. Ben, they had a number of recruits on hand for that opening game. Uh, what can you tell us about some of the people who showed up in Sanford Stadium and uh, anything you learned from some of those guys? 
Yeah, this will will by no means be a comprehensive list just because, as is always the case, Georgia is going to have even 26s, 27s that are on the radar that they're continuing to evaluate that are coming on some of their first visits. So the the standouts to me from that would be obviously Dylan Raiola being in attendance for his first Georgia game since the 2021 Kentucky game. He was really excited. I went to go see him on Friday night and he was really excited about the opportunity to get back in Sanford stadium under the lights. I saw him, him spending a lot of time with other Georgia commits like Daniel Calhoun, Jaden Riddell, Colton Heinrich, um, other Justin green, a bunch of other guys that I'm sure that I'm not mentioning here. Probably the one that, made people's eyebrows raise because he wasn't someone that was known to have been visiting beforehand was 2026 quarterback Julian Lewis. He obviously recently just committed to Southern Cal. So I wouldn't read too much into it from a recruiting standpoint, but week one, you know, the Carrollton Georgia quarterback wanted to get to Georgia for a visit. Georgia has proven time and time again, they don't care if you're a quarterback that's committed elsewhere. I mentioned this in relationship to Julian Lewis visiting Georgia all three of Georgia's quarterbacks on their roster right now were committed elsewhere at one point. So it's not new that Kirby Smart is looking at the committed rosters and obviously Dylan Raiola falls into that category as well. And so that's something that we'll continue to monitor, but I don't think that that's something that we should really be looking at too closely right there. Otherwise the, and I wrote about him, but the guy that stood out to me the most just visually on the sideline is the number one edge rusher in the 2025 class that's zion grady he's from alabama i hear this every time i write about a kid from alabama oh it's so hard to get guys out of the state of alabama i'm gonna have to be fighting that battle a lot this cycle because the 2025 class is loaded in the state of alabama i think i've written about three guys in the last 24 hours from the state of alabama and that's not going to change because there are a lot of guys in that state that georgia's recruiting kirby smart obviously has relationships that run deep there and the more that georgia wins the easier it's going to be to pull guys out of a neighboring state and so um you know i'll probably be writing about more guys but zion grady is a name in particular that georgia fans should remember especially when they think about that wolf pack group of edge rushers that they like to bring in Yeah, make sure and remember that name and several of those others that Ben mentioned because they will be on the radar going forward for Georgia. We're going to take a quick break, going to come back, sort of start looking ahead to Ball State, some of the things we're interested in, and some of the things we've learned from Georgia, from Kirby Smart and the players so far this week. Welcome back, everybody. Well, turning the page to week to Georgia getting ready to play Ball State, 12 p.m. kickoff on SEC Network. Georgia 1-0 going into this game. Ball State is 0-1 after losing 44-14 at Kentucky last week. Uh, sort of starting, I think the biggest thing that Georgia fans should be concerned with is the injury report, getting some of those guys back. Talked to Kirby Smart on Monday. Sounds like Lab McConkey pretty optimistic. Uh, Kirby said uh, that he was a game-time decision going into that week one game against UT Martin. He had been dealing with some back issues. Uh, He was not feeling good on Friday, and then come to game time, they decided not to play him. Uh, Fellow receiver Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint will be back. Uh, He had a one-game suspension. Uh, Kirby didn't go into a whole lot of detail about that, but did really, really praise Marcus for his leadership, um, the way he goes about his business. He talked about him returning to practice on Monday and saying that Marcus would treat that like his Super Bowl. I mean, it's a guy that uh, really, really grinds and is a guy that uh, they expect big things from. And I expect he will be back starting for this week two game. Uh, And then Dejan Edwards seems like the other guy uh, of note to keep in mind. Uh, They also said, 
you know, Kirby told us about his progress coming from an MCL that he's been dealing with, uh, said that he probably could have played against UT Martin and, you know, they didn't push it. Uh, he went through pregame warmups and they decided to hold him out. Uh, probably a good decision when you think about where this running back room is right now and trying to keep these guys healthy. So uh, I think we'll see Dejan Edwards uh, in week two against Ball State. Obviously, he is expected to do big things. I still think he's got a really good chance to be Georgia's leading rusher this year. So I think on the whole, when you look at some of the key names that they miss, some of the key guys uh, that they want back out there, uh, I think the progress is looking pretty good. And uh, I would be surprised if if uh, some of those guys don't play. And even if they don't, I don't think it's cause for concern when you're looking at the opponent. Um, and you consider also that uh, week three, they've got a big game at home against South Carolina. Yeah, Dejan's injury is probably the one that I'm looking at the most closely just because of the nature of the running back room right now. The fact that a guy like Kendall Milton probably didn't have to go, but almost felt like he needed to go from a leadership standpoint. And I, I, Kirby mentioned it, not wanting to throw two new scholarship guys who have never played there before without anybody else out there. Don't get me wrong. I thought Roderick Robinson was really impressive, but I just think that getting those two guys, Kendall Milton at full health and Dejon Edwards back in the rotation is really important. And so I don't, I don't know for certain whether Dejon will play this weekend, but I get the sense that he probably will, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do with it. Another quick update on inside linebacker Smile Munden. He played, but pretty sparingly. I think uh, some point uh, lower than 10 snaps. I'd have to go back and look at the numbers. He was sort of in there sporadically on Saturday. Seems like things are good. I think they just want to be smart about how they play him. Kirby talked on Monday saying that, you know, they need him to sort of get in shape from running, you know, with the time he's missed, uh, trying to get in some running while also not sort of wearing himself out, you know, dealing with a foot injury. Um, It'll be really interesting to see how much we see him if they sort of do something similar in week two. I wouldn't really be surprised if they sort of ease him back in, especially when you consider what they've got at that position. I mean, C.J. Allen wound up playing the most snaps, you know, true freshman in his first game, you know, no big deal. Uh, just leading in terms of the number of snaps he played against UT Martin. So uh, I think it's one of those things they understand sort of what they're working with. Want to be smart about getting those guys because even if Smile isn't 100%, there was one play where he chased down UT Martin's quarterback. I, I swear to you, Ben, it looked like something from Madden. I was like, how is he flying? Like he came, it felt like completely across the field and he didn't make a tackle, but the amount of space he closed on that quarterback was super impressive. Again, when you consider the fact that he's coming back from an injury. There's no doubt athletically, there's probably nobody else in that room that can do the things that Smile Monday can do. So I think from that standpoint, you want to get him back on the field. But I think because of the depth, the fact that you have a freshman in CJ Allen that can play the most snaps probably gives you some confidence to say, smile, let's take it easy. Let's not overuse you early in the year. We've got the guys in this room that can get the job done. So it it says a lot about Glenn Schumann, in my opinion, that he's able to continue to find these freshman linebackers that are able to play in this defense. Kirby talks about the volume of this defense all the time, and it's hard across every position group to play as a freshman. And I feel like Guys that make a legitimate early impact on this defense, Glenn Schumann's linebackers tend to do it as much as anyone. So, Talking a little bit about Ball State as we get ready for Saturday's game. They're coming off a 5-7 and season last year. 
Uh, back in 2020, they actually won the MAC, uh, which was a pretty big accomplishment for the Cardinals. It had been quite a while since they'd won the conference. Uh, Lane Hatcher, one of the quarterbacks that played against Kentucky on Saturday, a Texas State transfer. Really interesting at running back, Marquez Cooper is a guy that Georgia knows because he played for Kent State last year and had a pretty good game against the Bulldogs. Uh, they made some plays against Kentucky. They actually led Kentucky 7-3 to going into the second quarter. And a couple of fumbles, one that Kentucky took back, uh, led to a really big, I want to say, a 20-point second quarter for the Wildcats, kind of got them rolling. Uh, I don't think this is a bad MAC team. It may be a stretch for them to make a bowl this season. Um, but they have uh, got a few playmakers again. Um, you know, really – Probably the biggest pickup they got this offseason was Marquez Cooper, who uh, led the MAC in rushing last year, really good playmaker for Kent State. Uh, what are you wanting to see against this opponent on Saturday, Ben? Uh, what intrigues you about what we'll see in, in the matchup that's going to be between the Bulldogs and the Cardinals? Um, not to sound like a degenerate, but I, I do think Georgia covering the spread would probably just like ease some people's minds. Like, I think that's part of the reason I think people have become so much more in tune with gambling as bad as that might be to some folks. Like, I think that because of that, people knew that Georgia was a, what was it? A 40, what was it? 49 point favorite or something like that. So when you only win by 41, it feels like, Oh, things were slow to start. Didn't get things, you know, whatever. Georgia Open is a 39-point favorite. I think as of right now, they're 42-point favorite in most places. So it's it's a tough task for Georgia all year long to cover in these games, but that's a sign of the expectations and whether they want those expectations or not. Like, this is the type of football team that people think that they have. So and this sounds – it's a very degenerate answer, but I think Georgia covering the spread will show that they are beating teams the way that everybody expects them to be beating teams. I personally feel like winning by 41 points with a 49 point spread is in that ballpark. Like you can't, you're the chances of beating team. You're, like, you're not going to beat teams by 50 every single week. Um, but I, I think that when we're actually just looking at the dynamics of the game again, Carson Beck, just getting more comfortable with some of those receivers. And what I think is interesting is like, we talk about whether Lad McConkey is going to be available or not. And I don't know, we haven't seen it yet, really what kind of connection Lad and Carson have with one another, but I do, I think you can find a silver lining in if Lad is being eased into the rotation, him getting comfortable, Carson Beck getting comfortable with guys like CJ Smith, Makai Muse, you know, Marcus Rosemi getting his first action this week. Like it's not the worst thing in the world. If some other rotational guys are getting more usage than they might, you might expect them to be just because I think it will get Carson Beck more comfortable with more guys. And so really just seeing that passing game continue to open up. I mean, I think we both sit here and talk about how, when we look back at the game, I think it was a pretty good performance. I think that Carson played pretty well. You can point to a few things here or there. Car I think Mike Bobo called a fairly good game. You can point to a few things here or there. But I think we can all agree that there is there is this sort of lingering sentiment when you talk about things like Georgia's 1,000-yard receivers and things like that, that you want to see Georgia open up the passing game a little bit because it's just something that we continue to talk about and continue to talk about. And so I want to see them do it against a team like ball state before you get into sec play just to see is there any difference to what we're going to see this year offensively to what we've seen in the past and i still don't know that yet um but i think that georgia you know we'll i think we'll we'll see a little bit more on saturday than we saw last week i think you hit on most of what i would have said as far as georgia ball state the one thing i will add 
And I need to go back. I'm going to try to watch the Ball State-Kentucky game before we get ready for Saturday's game. But I want to see if Ball State tries to attack Georgia with sort of more of a conventional passing game because, as we mentioned earlier, uh, it looked like when it came to UT Martin, you know, more throws to the outside receiver screens, not really your traditional throws. Uh, I want to see if you see more of that with Lane Hatcher and Ball State if they decide to attack because I, I believe one of their receivers had a pretty good game against the Wildcats. Um, and really, other than that, um, that, that's sort of the biggest thing to me. And then, as you had mentioned, seeing how Ladd, seeing how Marcus worked with Carson, because, you know, if, if I were to just look at that first game, also keeping in mind that Ladd and Marcus did not play, I would say sort of the guy that Carson's going to lean on is Brock Bowers, because I felt like, especially in the rewatch, it was like, when it kind of looked like there was a few throws where it didn't work out, all right, I'm going to throw it to 19, and we're going to get a little bit of momentum. Um, that's sort of where I'm leaning right now, but at the same time, I wouldn't be at all surprised if Lag comes in here on week two um, and has a really productive game and has a saying, well, um, he may be sort of that guy just like uh, he was with Stetson, and we may see both those guys play really, really big roles this year. It also felt like Carson was, and I want to say forcing it, but he was seeking out Dominic Lovett and Arian Smith. Now, they didn't hit on the rate that they probably would have liked to. But I think it does say a lot that, you know, on third down, Carson was looking at at Dominic Lovett when he thought that there was an opportunity for a deep shot. Like he was trying to get the ball to Arian Smith. Like he definitely took a couple of shots to both of those guys and they'll probably need to work out some in game rhythm with one another. But um, I do expect Georgia's passing game to open up as the season progresses. I think that Georgia has the ability to really throw the ball downfield at at a high rate this year. Before we close out, I'm going to take just a complete left turn, but I'm going to take you with me, Ben, because it hit me as we were talking. You know, one of the games of week one was LSU-Florida State. Florida State has the big win. After the game, LSU head coach Brian Kelly uh, wasn't too thrilled, which is understandable given how that game played out. Uh, And he said the following, quote, We must have thought we were the two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs or something. We were mistaken. Uh, Kirby Smart was asked about this on Monday, and he pretty much gave a non-answer. I think he said humility is a week away. Um, but what did you make of Brian Kelly kind of bringing Georgia into the mix and, and throwing that out there after that loss? Uh, he loves to bring up Georgia. I, this is not the first time this offseason that Brian Kelly has brought up Georgia as sort of the measuring stick in college football. I think we've actually talked about it on here before. Like that is one, it's an indicator that Georgia is the measuring stick in college football now, which I think, you know, for the years and years of we want Bama, we want Bama talk that everybody threw out every time that they would win a football game. I, I mean, I think that it's approaching the it's the we want Georgia era. Um, but I think that Brian Kelly just needs to stop thinking about other teams. You Like I, I say this, we say this a lot when it's guys like Kirby smart answer questions and they give the like coach speak boring answer where like, it's really, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with, with us and what we do and, you know, us sticking to our game plan and all that. And it's like, Brian Kelly just needs to think that way. Like he thinks way too much externally. Like the fact that, Oh, we were thinking that we were the Georgia Bulldogs. Like the fact that you would even have that in your like, vocabulary in a post-game press conference is a sign that you're probably not thinking intrinsically enough as a head football coach. So I'm not sitting here saying that I know how to give advice to a $10 million a year head coach that's won a lot of football games, but you know, maybe you shouldn't be thinking about the Georgia Bulldogs after you uh, lose by 20 to Florida state. 
Yeah, and I'm also sure Kirby was thrilled that he got asked about this because, you know, that's definitely at the front of his mind. Uh, wanted to also read a comment that I missed while we were talking about Ball State. Uh, someone named Kip A. Hmm, not sure who that is. I want to see increased pressure and give me more of that speed front we saw last week. Better run blocking physicality so they can unleash those big backs in the second level. I think this Kip guy might be onto something. But to, to be fair, and I wrote about this in the rewatch, I, I was a little disappointed in the inside linebackers. I felt like Jamon kind of got caught flat-footed a few times. I think that is a challenge for this defensive line for them to show up and, and uh, be even more productive than they were in week one. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, uh, we're going to close things out with my Georgia men's basketball minute. Put this on the board Saturday night. They had a big unofficial visit there in town for that opening game. Uh, Asa Newell, a five-star power forward, a guy that has been at the top of their board for quite some time. His brother, Jade Newell, is a walk-on at Georgia. That is a very good sign for Georgia. They also have plans uh, for Asa to be back in town in October on an official visit. Uh, so things are looking up, and that would be a big win if Georgia is able to get him to commit. He's got a lot of really talented teams like Indiana, Gonzaga, Alabama going hard after him. Uh, good news there. Bad news, there is a shooting guard, Austin Schwartz, who is going to announce his commitment. Uh, as we are talking, it is going to be Tuesday afternoon at 2 Eastern. Uh, Georgia has been after him for quite a while. I don't anticipate that Georgia will get him. Uh, looks like Miami is trending for him. Very talented guard. I would say uh, in the aftermath of that news, uh, watch Bishop Boswell. He is a, a four-star combo guard from North Carolina. I think he's going to be the guy that Georgia really, really targets. Uh, but I think on the whole, especially when you've got a guy of Asa's caliber, definitely really, really considering coming to Georgia. I think things are looking pretty good on the recruiting front for the Bulldogs. We're going to wrap up the episode right there. appreciate Ben for popping on. I appreciate everyone who checked this out and is tuning in. I want to make sure and uh, tell everybody that Wednesday at noon, I will have Kyle Smedley. He is a student reporter at Ball State. He's going to come on, uh, give us some intel on the Cardinals, getting ready for Saturday's game. Should be a fun episode. Uh, we're going to wrap it up right there. Appreciate everyone who checked this out live. Appreciate everyone who's listening to this after the fact. Be sure, uh, especially if you're listening on Tuesday, to go to Dogs 24-7. Go take advantage of our 50% off deal before it ends. And uh, make sure and go to Dogs 247 on YouTube and uh, go subscribe there. All kinds of videos there. So for Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. <laughs>